It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Enjoy! Thanks. The order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot meal. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it. Dave Hanratty and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 230. It's a ridiculous number of the No Encore Music Podcast. Itself a ridiculous thing. I would agree. Craig, do you agree with me agreeing with myself? Ridiculously fun, I would say, Dave. Hello, where are you? Are you in good spirits yeah. this week? I'm kind of Listen, good. I'm the cat's pajamas, yeah, you could say. Sure, why not? I had a good therapy session today. That was good. Nice. We'll, 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 we'll put that down as the highlight of my week. We're potentially uh, going, right. going to see each other in person as well this weekend. Maybe. We'll why don't meet you just up. Tell, tell the government there of our, of, of our <laughs> movements? I'm excited I'm very about much it. Playing... I haven't done many like kind of in-person soirees, so it'd be good to see you. Yeah. I'm playing things by ear. We'll see how it goes. No promises. Cool. But I do promise you, listener, that on this episode of No Encore, you're going to get a review of the brand new Doves album, the first album in 11 years from those English indie titans. You'll also get a top five that I'm particularly excited about. It's called Best and Worst Comebacks. That's right. Of a musical nature. Craig, how are you feeling about it? Pretty good. So I'm on the best. Um... I'm wondering, will you guess some of my selections? Because I think we're a united front on a lot of kind of great comebacks. I'm super interested to hear the worst ones you've come up with. That's always fun doing that trial. So it should be a nice mix of awfulness and absolutely fucking euphoria. 
Yeah, there's no way that your number one isn't what I know it is already. There's just no way. And I would expect at least one more in that top five, but I'm not going to say anything further. Let's okay. get to it later. Uh, Patreon.com slash noencore if you'd like to help support the show. Uh, you're already giving us your love, which we which we absolutely appreciate and need very, very much. But uh, a few quid wouldn't go amiss either. If you're into that kind of thing, you know, at the moment, we're kind of doing weekly playlists at the moment because I think the two of us have just uh, all of a sudden been slammed. I'm still unemployed, but I'm doing some freelancey stuff, which is nice, you know, some interviews. Oh, speaking of, I should say, by the way, that I'm um, coming up on No Encore soon. There's going to be a series of standalone episodes. This will all depend, you know, subject to change, who's around, who can we, who we can get as, you know, it's hard in this COVID era, yada, yada, yada. But the point is, um, we're going to do like a new thing. So rather than just like talk to an artist who has an album coming out and just kind of like crowbar that into an episode. I figured it'd be best to give it a bit more space. And so what I'm going to do is hopefully with a series of uh, of upcoming albums of note, I'm going to talk to the artists involved and go track by track through the albums, like kind of like, you know, play some audio from it, talk about the songs in question, some jumping off points here and there, see how it goes. Um, so coming up, you'll have Pillow Queens doing that at the end of the month. You'll awesome. have Alvaretti following on from that as well and there's no, nice. other ones to come but uh, i don't like to say too much until the thing is done you know yourself craig many interviews have you done in your life where you've walked away from it and been like that was amazing and then like you go to plug it in or something and like the fucking dictaphone explodes or something so it's, it's yeah. always a precarious thing it is i think i've had two experiences of that and it's just like one where i lost a recorder which was like okay that's just gone another which was early days of interviewing and the connection wasn't quite in that wouldn't happen to me these days with microphones or anything of the sort on podcasts not a for hope. Example. no yeah definitely not no yeah <laughs> but i had that thing Rare. where i had that thing where i was like i was in work and it was early days so i was like okay i need to have this interview so i had to call the person back and be like can we redo the interview and they were very gracious and very nice and it was all good was that, but a- that was was that uh, Paul Banks from Interpol that time? I know you did you did a fucking nightmare with that. No, Paul Banks was something that didn't happen because they, on their end, they didn't have time or something like that. Um, but no, it was, was it Orbital or was it The Orb? It was one of the quickies, like it wasn't an extensive interview, but it was just, you had to hit all the beats. So I had to get the kind of funny anecdotes all again. And your man was super cool. Um, but, I yeah. had... Um, I had to try and track down Mogwai once. I, like I tried to talk to Stuart Brightway from <laughs> Mogwai over the phone. <laughs> Cross country. <laughs> over the phone. But like someone gave me the wrong information somewhere and I ended up on the phone to like an Estonian hotel where no one spoke any English. And eventually it turned out that they were no longer in that city or country or whatever. And uh, yeah, eventually got the guy. But you know, the, the wonderful days of Hot Press Magazine, everybody. Um, I guess one good thing about Hot Press Magazine, apart from, you know, us coming out of it, would be that like you kind of got to, we, we dominated that off hysteria right we got to play some great tunes uh lots of hip-hop friday you know it was legendary in that building and, yeah um, that playlist still exists on spotify we might tweet it out but it's it's growing i think it's collaborative everyone can just join in but um yeah we dominated for sure and everyone loved it i think it's a strong playlist yeah one thing you wouldn't find on that playlist though or any of the good ones that we did was natasha beddingfield she was a, it was a no-go zone for natasha beddingfield however if you were at a suspected house party in mayo about a weekend ago you may have been, I guess, just taken up by the spirit of the theme tune to the hills because Gardy were called to this suspected jam. Uh, <laughs> people were apparently singing unwritten so loud that it like shook people in the local neighborhood. But <laughs> people were up, upon, upon a Gardy investigation, and I'm glad that there was a prompt response to this. Pandemic or no, you know, this is this is ill behavior. Uh, Gardy couldn't quite prove it you know um I, and natasha Bedingfield once followed no encore on twitter I'm, I'm certain it's one of those like bot account type things maybe we should get her on should have probably give her a shout this week 
What's your general? I mean, okay, listen. If the guards are going to like bust in on you these days, what song do you want to be like singing? Like, like, like going down, dragged out of there, cuffed into the car. Kid Charlemagne, <laughs> Steely Dan, <laughs> talking about cleaning up the gaff. Um, yeah, definitely not Natasha Bedingfield. Unwritten is we've talked about it on the show before, but just lyrically, it's up there with the very, very worst. The fact that this was like shortly after midnight on a Friday and this was their selection, I just, I mean, I don't want to like tar the good people of Mayo with the same brush, but this feels very like Mayo to me. I don't know. I don't know who's still listening to this song. I feel like I would even give Daniel Bedingfield a pass. Do you know what I mean? He can. There might be an ironic moment where one of his songs might come on, but... I don't know. To be getting... No, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's isolate this apparent mayo hatred you have. What's going on there? It's a very nice place. I've been. Once or twice. Have I ever been? I don't know. Just mayo strikes me as a place where they're constantly talking about Ga and Sam and stuff like, stuff I've no knowledge of or interest in. And yeah, I just, I don't see the intersection between good taste in music and mayo. Maybe I'm totally wrong. If we've got Mayo listeners, I apologise wholeheartedly. Send me your playlists and educate me. But um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like you probably lost them. For me, it would be, uh, I think I'd go with uh, Chad Kroger, Josie Scott Hero. That would be my go-to if I'm in that situation. But I guess this does kind of tie in. Yeah, belting it out as I'm being like, you know, railed full of bullets by the guards. (laughs) I assume is how it would go down. Um, Spotify are reportedly working on a new karaoke feature. So if we do live to tell the tale... We can just hop on to this, man. Um, you did the news this week, Craig, so I'm going to just politely defer to you here. Yeah, I, when I was reading through this story earlier on today, I was like, is this a, like it's September 7th on the, the news story, but it feels like an April Fool's joke. It's not, I've double checked, but the quotes are attributed to, and the tweet is attributed to someone at Spotify that works as a reverse engineer. That's an actual position, which is just great. Sounds kind of vaguely sinister, like it's a mafia thing of just like we need someone to reverse engineer this situation. But yeah, Jane Manchun Wong uh, tweeted out that they're working on karaoke mode. Uh, the vocal level is adjustable, as you would expect with karaoke mode. Another thing that made me suspicious was the screenshot that she added was the song in question was Rick Ashley. It was never going to give you up. So I'm like, is this some elaborate Rick role? But no. Um, enemy doing great journalistic work, um, even though they're now just online only, followed up with Spotify. And Spotify kind of said, you know, we routinely conduct a number of tests in an effort to improve our user experience. So that was one of those. So who knows if it'll become a widespread thing. But uh, yeah, I, don't, I think it'll rile up artists for sure, right? It strikes me as similar to the Netflix thing of like where you could put, um, you could like put 1.5 speed and power through shows and stuff. And lots of creators were like, this isn't how the creators intended. I'm sure like a lot of the, the you know, the likes of Mike Mills, the likes of so many artists that were kind of giving out about Spotify saying, you know, you need to churn out more product for us. Um, we'll be saying, okay, now you're just commodifying us further silencing us quite literally so you can do bad karaoke i don't know the optics it is quite a strange the the optics are almost never good when spotify come out these days for any kind of news story it's just such a weird thing Uh, daniel x uh, daniel x recently said something to the effect of like you know musicians need to keep create as you say churning out content in order to like keep their spotify profile up and it's like just like jesus christ this is like I'm trying to bleed everything out of this possible. Uh, I will yeah. say that um, listener listener and friend of the show, Mark Conroy of Headstuff fame, uh, put up a tweet this week where he um, 
He bought, he bought bought himself a Glade candle, a real fucking bougie purchase, you know? And on it, right, unlike the kind of cardboard thing that it's encased in before you unleash it to the world, it was like, look up the Glade Spotify playlist, and it's like, what the fuck? And it's like, there actually is a official Glade Spotify playlist with, like, Ed Sheeran on there and just various different kind of chart yes. pop. It's so like, there's no... What? theme to it there's no tie-in it's not like as, as well curated as a uh, you know a patreon no encore playlist it's just pure like popular songs there's no kind of scent crossover or i don't know <laughs> no it's just complete chaos yeah which oh, is what you would expect from a, a i guess a well-established candle manufacturer what's miley <laughs> cyrus up to this week craig uh she was on joe rogan um for a lengthy Great. discussion is there any other type of discussion on joe rogan um Maybe, uh, maybe we shouldn't be saying that because you know we we let it run ourselves. But uh, yeah, he moved to his new ranch. Whoa, 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 whoa. In- don't compare us <laughs> to fucking Joe Rogan. Like, like success, fair enough, enviable. But I'm I'm okay not being bracketed in. You know. Yeah, well, he moved to Spotify, um, and I think his first show was like five and a half hours, so we've definitely not gone to those successes yet. Uh, it was a much shorter interview, apparently, with Mighty Cyrus, which was talking about her kind of career to date and her ups and downs, and I caught a couple of clips, and she came across quite well, but she was talking about the MTV VMAs and um, this year's ceremony, and basically straight up accused them of sexism. Uh, she was talking about kind of lighting issues she had, uh, just some really off-colour comments as well from people working on the team, so... Basically, she didn't want a key light or beauty light shining on her. Um, and she was told that that wasn't kind of possible. She said, it's like the beauty light is always used on women. And I said, turn the fucking lights off. You would never tell Travis Scott or Adam Levine that he couldn't turn the beauty light off. I'm not quite sure what a beauty light is technically. Do you know, Dave? I mean, you're I know not bathed ter- in a beauty light right now, but I think that's just Yeah, thanks. Um, turn the beauty light off does sound like an Adam Levine song or song. record. So... <laughs> Uh, no, I, I have to confess, Craig, I'm not really au fait with, you know, Instagram, TikTok, etc. kind of um, accessories that might make one look better. Um, I just go with my natural glow, depending on the day. <laughs> it's working for you, buddy. It's straight up working for oh, you. Stop, speaking you? of stop. <laughs> speaking of accessories, maybe the worst thing... Um, that she relayed was how she'd got her bracelet caught in her dress and an MTV producer said, you want to be treated like a guy? We wouldn't be dealing with this if a guy was doing it. It's just what like, does that even mean? Like that they wouldn't be wearing bracelets? I mean, this is like Probably Hollywood. Probably would be. <laughs> <laughs> Steven Tyler since yeah. the 70s was just fucking festooned and bangles and all sorts. Like, what? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me. But yeah, and she kind of shot back that like a guy wouldn't be doing this because a guy doesn't sell your show with sex the way that I'm going to. Which I guess was her kind of like, um, you know, asserting her authority over the situation. It's cool, but it's just like, yeah, so such a strange thing to say to one of your main performers as well. I did see, uh, I guess, one very, very brief clip during the rounds. I forgot the exact exchange, but Joe Rogan said something to the effect of like, you know, oh, well, you know, we're still doing that thing or like we didn't do something new. And she kind of shot back and she was like, yeah, well, obviously, I'm getting it wrong. But basically, she was just like an easy own go for her to rip the piss out of him. And it was very was funny. Like, yeah, yeah I all saw for that, it. I saw that clip as well. I think he was talking about her... Um, she was talking about like TikTok culture, maybe or Instagram culture, but she was talking about like dance routines or something like that. And Joe Rogan says, "Oh yeah, like I'll, she was trying to explain the various dances." And he was like, "Yeah, they all look the same to me." And she basically said, "Oh yeah, when you guys when you start talking about your thing, as in MMA, it's all the same to me." And he kind of went uh, and like was completely completely murked 
as Rio Ferdinand yeah, might well, say. Yeah, well, but th- this is the thing. I mean, like, I feel like between this story and that story and everything else, like, Molly Cyrus is one of those artists who, I think, for some strange reason, there's this weird perception that she's not super intelligent, which she clearly is. I mean, like, you yeah. might not agree with all of her various personas and quality of the output and so on, but, like, uh, she's struck me as someone who's been able to stand up for herself quite well for a very long time now. And, like, yeah, I wouldn't be fucking mouthing off to her, so I wouldn't, you know? Totally. Um, we recently, she was recently in one of my top fives with her album from five years ago, Dead Pets, which I recommend people check out. And that was her like teaming up with Flaming Lips it was an unlikely collaboration and it worked really surprisingly well to my ears. So yeah, keep doing what you're doing, Miley. Billie Eilish, meanwhile, has a bold take on the four string classic. And as we all know, the four string classic can only be one thing. It's the ukulele. I guess she's taking her cue from Brezzy, who, of course, over the summer, you know, got involved and sent out like like uh, like you two putting a new album on your iTunes, Brezzy sent uh, hundreds of ukuleles across the nation in a bid to cheer people up in the whole pandemic lockdown situation. I believe because it was called Guan, hashtag was it called? lockdown ukulele rockdown, which is <laughs> what? Like, that's a long hashtag. <laughs> rolls off the tongue. It rhymes. Um, he is a lyricist first and foremost, rather than a social media manager. I think so, yeah. As far as I'm aware, I, it's hard to tell these days. But Billie mm. Eilish is doing pretty well. Why is she pivoting to the whimsical world of twee, Craig? Yeah, I'm not happy. Like, I, you know, by and large, I'd be like, keep doing what you're doing, Billie, as well. But like, I I'm afraid we, we might have to cancel her with this move because I've, you know, expressed my pure hatred for ukulele many times on this show. Uh, Eddie Vedder's entire album of it. It's just, it's mainly advertising, uh, which winds me up where it's just every kind of sickly sweet saccharine kind of, oh, emotional moment. You have like some cutesy cover of a popular song just with a bit of uke in the background and it's, it's horrible. Um, she's done. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, go on. As someone who works in the advertising world, obviously you're privy to many a brainstorm. I assume you've created wonderful things in the last couple of years. Do you ever have a moment where you've had to, like, rein in any kind of uke talk, you know? Because as you say yourself, listen, John Lewis ads do it all the time and they're fucking mad popular. Uh, yeah, I feel like it might be more a client-side thing where it's just, like, the creatives, um, which isn't a great term, but will suggest something, maybe a track that's, like, well-established and over-budget, and then the company will go, oh, we should just do it a bit more like that other ad that's already on. And maybe something that's free or a cover and you end up with some uke thing. Like there's, you know, websites like Audio Jungle where you you basically go on, search it, and it's just people making honest livings, just kind of churning out very like sound like songs and lots of uke stuff on that and like plaintive piano. And it's it's pretty horrendous, but it's big business. There's a line here. It says, uh, speaking about her sustained love of the ukulele. I like that line. Uh, to be fair, you know, it is it is a thing that she has popped up here and there on the last album and on songs. I think when I saw her live yeah. that time in London, um, it works in terms of what she's doing with it. But yeah, I certainly wouldn't want, you know, a proper prominence for it, I guess. But she's, she's you, what you're saying to me, Craig, is she's selling out. This is what I'm hearing. <laughs> now, I'll let this pass. And it is, as you say, context is kind of everything. Like when I was talking about raindrops keep falling in my head um, a couple of weeks ago, there's a ukulele that started out and it works because it's a great song um, and it's sincere and all her stuff is sincere. But, you know, if people are buying ukuleles for, I think the cost of this is something like, it's like nearly 300 quid, which seems really prohibitive for an instrument that's big selling point is kind of like you can pick one up for 30 quid and just you're good to go. I, uh, it's, it's overkill. Yeah, no, sorry. It's 239 pounds sterling. Um 
and breaks it land, I guess. But yeah, not, not all about it. Like she's making a donation to the Hawaii Community Foundation as well, because obviously the instrument originates from um, that island. So that's kind of cool. Um, at least there's no like cultural appropriation. She's like, I'd say like, like, like me shut that down pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> Savvy. <laughs> Savvy. <laughs> like, this is both a really altruistic, <laughs> lovely thing to do, and you can't give out about it, can you? <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Um, staying with the world of pop music, Katy Perry is going to be releasing a documentary inspired by Taylor Swift. But Craig, don't they hate each other? Also savvy. Yeah, they were on my list of like um, feuds, but they made up and they had a whole thing where it's all good between them. And it seems um, very authentic and not just some, you know, marketing thing whatsoever. Um, she's also very savvy. So she is releasing this documentary that's inspired by Taylor Swift, the Access All Areas. Um, it seems prime for no popcorn when it actually drops. Um, I don't know. What, what's your take on this kind of thing? And are we going to get anything kind of juicy? Like she says, there's going to be ju- juicy parts of her life, but I don't know. Yeah, that word juicy keeps popping up every now and then. Um, I feel like, well, I mean, like it, this could make for a double bill, I suppose, someday with Miss Americana, the Taylor Swift documentary, for sure. uh, which came out on Netflix earlier this year, which I watched as you know when we discussed the album recently. I, I don't know. I mean, even right now, I'm watching. Um, I watched the first two episodes of the Tottenham Hotspur Amazon Prime documentary last night. As did and- I. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it, but like, I just don't trust anything that has such level of involvement. Even like straight out of Compton, that film, like the lads are fucking producers. Yeah. You know, Tottenham are being paid a shit ton of money and they're like, it's all access. It's just, I think if, if you have, you know, the main subject matter has creative control, how great can it be? That's why, like, you know, listen, I know I mention this documentary every fucking week, but like, that's why one like some kind of monster, the Metallica one, works for the most part, because while I'm sure the lads had say in the final cut, the guys who were shooting that one were there to shoot something else. And then from what them being there, they managed to capture this much more surreal, ridiculous thing of a band basically imploding. Um, these things are generally kind of propaganda based. So I mean, oh, the door documentary, but even like a film like Senna, for example, which everyone fucking loves and it's very, very well made. Uh, the uh, Azif Kapadia, is it who made it? And it's like, that's a really well made film and it's cool and all, but it's. I always thought it was more tribute than documentary. Like, it didn't feel terribly probing. It was more of a celebration, which is totally fine. But I don't know. I think I heard the word documentary and I kind of demand some level of. Yeah. Uh, impartial exploration, I guess. Yeah. Oh, totally. I'm like, I, I had to park all that with the Spurs documentary because it's. It's a vanity project, really. It's hilarious. But that's the thing. It's just like, I wouldn't be interested at all until Jose Mourinho rocks up and you see the back of that, like, Silver Fox's head and you're just like, he's box office. (laughs) He's just like, he's pure entertainment. But um, I'm not getting any great insight into what is actually going on at Spurs. You know what I mean? It seems very kind of choreographed, but he's great. He's great to watch when he's not at your club. (laughs) Yeah, I won't be rushing out to watch the Katy Perry one, but who knows, maybe it'll be great. Uh, If I was sitting down, though, for this kind of an evening, I'd help myself to some Post Malone rosé wine. That's what I'd do. Yeah, Post Malone's got a new rosé wine, and we've just learned that it was part-inspired by hanging out with Mark Wahlberg too much. Can you hang out with Mark Wahlberg too much? Probably, yes. Like, what, half an hour? I'd say about five minutes will probably probably get you there, you know? (laughs) Yeah, his manager was um, talking about it in a GQ profile. Um, Dre London, who, I don't know, some of his comments make me think, I don't know if I'm sold on Dre. Um, so he says, this was an idea that came out while we were tipsy on wine and talking like a Wolf of Wall Street bull. I'm just like, oh God. 
Oh, God. But I'll be real. I remember that moment and I reminded everyone the next day. So we have Dre London to thank for that. I've seen uh, video interviews with him on YouTube and he's a man that just constantly wears shades when he's in a brightly lit room talking to another human being for the duration. (laughs) But actually, Post, he seems pretty down to earth. I'm surprised he went the rosé wine route. Obviously, a big affinity for Bud Light. Um, He's a brand, you know. I like Post Malone. I think that he is... We talked before about that last album, and obviously Sunflower is one of the best songs of the last couple of years. The guy has an extremely innate ability for pop hooks uh, in a time when a lot of songs sound the same. I'm always intrigued by the fact that a lot of his songs have about six different ideas in them and it's kind of like wow this is actually genuinely amazing at times and in interviews and stuff he seems like a fucking sweetheart and then he gets a real raw deal because of his image i won't be going anywhere near his wine that's just but if he makes the documentary it, yeah i'm i'm there oh him hanging out in a fucking vineyard like yeah. andrea pirlo oh, rocking up oh yes <laughs> we gotta pitch there. this absolutely that's a winner we got to pitch that. We got to pitch the Heads of Podcast Network. There are, of course, lots of great different shows available, including this one. My name is Stephanie Preisner, and my podcast is called Basically with Stephanie Preisner. And I have guests on every week who explain things to me because they're experts and I'm not. We've had people like Pascal Donahue, the Minister for Finance, explain what it's like to be the Minister for Finance. We've had on Taoiseach, Michal Martin, explain what it's like to be Taoiseach. Luke O'Neill explained the coronavirus. Uh, a nurse explaining what it's like to get coronavirus and then loads of things that aren't related to coronavirus at all at all like politics and being a child actor if you like finding out about things listen to Basically with Stephanie Preisner Okay, album it's time for an album there's lots of albums in the world lots of albums out today including this The Universal Want by Doves, the first new record from the band in 11 years. Let's take a spin of the opening track. This is called Carousel. by Doves. It's been out since about June, that one, and I think it's a fucking belter. But Craig, first off, who are Doves and why does their comeback matter? Or does it? Um, I think it matters, but, you know, it's been a long time coming. Uh, I, I think I'm right in saying no one really found their absence too perturbing or like this was hugely hotly anticipated. Not as any slight, but it just felt natural that Doves would keep their own time. They're kind of craftsmen that serve their songs. You get the sense that they'd be back when they were good and ready and we're very glad to have them back. They're a trio uh, comprising uh, singer Big Jimmy Godwin and the Williams Twins, um, Jez on guitar, Andy on drums and they're a very Mancunian band, I would say. They're proponents of like Northern Soul 
ostensibly like grey, miserable um, from the outside, but with a really important kind of true line of feel good, uh, near kind of euphoric sounds uh, at their absolute best. Uh, there's something quite Manchester about that, really. Like, they, I think they were initially schoolhood friends that were like reunited on the dance floor at Hacienda. They started off as like a group called Sub Sub that like did dance songs. They had a dance hit in the '90s, and talking about comebacks this week, uh, there was a fire in their studio in the '90s, which destroyed all their equipment, all their songs, everything. Um, they had to reinvent themselves as doves. They kind of built this rock orientated sound and they had great success around the turn of the century. They kind of entered the slipstream of a Radiohead alongside bands like Elbow maybe, slightly more considered and adventurous um, bands that could also do your indie rock anthems. And they had a huge amount of critical and commercial success. You kind of tend to forget, or at least I did. I mean, Lost Souls uh, went number one with Last Broadcast in some cities. Um, Kingdom of Rust then was maybe slightly diminishing returns. Um, But yeah, I guess what I was expecting from them was more of the same in a good way, um, because they'll just keep carving away at their unique sound, um, slight moves uh, forward. But that was fine by me with this band. They're kind of building a body of work in an old-fashioned sense over time. It's like a kind of author's approach, really. And there's no major narrative with them. um, But I have to say this week, that's a great song. And overall, it's a great collection. I was pretty glad to spend, you know, some proper time with them, I guess. How about you? Same, yeah. I found myself coming back to this, this one quite a lot. We talk sometimes on the show about, you know, the five listen test or even just like sometimes an album can feel like a chore, whether it's weight of expectation, whether it's an album being overstuffed um, or whether it's just not clicking, you know? And I mean, like Dubs wouldn't have been a band that I would necessarily have gone to. Uh, I grew up in a house, I remember like where I, they would, they'd be a, CDs be lying around, like Lost Souls in particular. My sister, uh, big fan, like she's not like, you know, I was kind of surprised like she's more into like prints and that kind of stuff, but she fucking loves doves. So I was like, oh, doves are back. That, that was a nice thing to be able to tell someone. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's it. And this is actually a thing. Like, there's kind of a wholesome story with doves. I mean, like, I was talking to a friend of the show, Zara Hedeman, earlier on. Um, I believe she's reviewing the album on Arena on RT this Friday. And she was saying that, like, there was a fans started a petition to get the band back at some stage, I think like a couple of years ago. I think they did resurface at the end of 2018, was it? And they were like, we're back, let's do it, why not? They, they kind of yeah. met up, just hung out and started playing again. And then they were like, without really having to say it, we knew that we were back on. It's your, it's your classic getting the band back together story. Okay. And it's been nice to kind of see... There's a lot of goodwill. Um, I read Alexis Petretis' review there in The Guardian. He gave it four out of five today, just a couple of hours before he started to record. Um, I, I check in. Like, like I try not to read the reviews, but I'm always curious to take the temperature of how people are kind of reacting to something. I think dubs are... Uh, you kind of hinted at it in your shots-fired intro, by the way, Craig. Very, very mean things to say. Uh, when you're well, saying, we weren't waiting for the comeback. <laughs> I'm not part of that. You're saying that like, like, there's something kind of like... I mean, like not forgettable about those but like they didn't you know crack into that giant cold play sphere of things you mentioned elbow and i hear elbow quite a bit on this album it's probably just the the vocal intonation that jimmy goodwin kind of goes for quite a lot of the time but unlike Elbow, a band I have really struggled with, um, I think Doves are really fucking good songwriters. Um, and I think that there's some beautiful, beautiful stuff on this. Um, if there is a theme at all, it's kind of in the title, The Universal Want. I mean, they've said that they're kind of a band that are united by the concept of yearning. And it's interesting to hear some guys in their kind of, I suppose, what, mid to late 40s at this age, I, I think, yeah. still have those classic angsty kind of struggles and just, you know, like not, you know, we're all still trying to figure this out. I think there's an everyman relatability in the best 
best kind of way with a band like Doves. I think their fans who have been waiting for this um, are going to love this record. I, I, I think yeah. it's, I think it's really strong. I, I, I think it's bright. I think it's, you know, it's not revolutionary. It didn't need to be. I think sometimes an indie band that are good at writing personable songs is all you really need, and that's what I got from this one. I went back to it a lot this week. Yeah, uh, I I did have peripheral experiences with them in the past, for sure. So it was, you know, their bigger songs on the radio or on FIFA. And you would get sucked in in that moment into the the, the kind of widescreen, but rain-drenched vibe. Um, They have that energy as well on their best songs, which is like kind of steam train coming at you. Uh, But yeah, they they did always feel like slightly anonymous and, you know, um, at an arm's length for me. but it was nice, as I say, to properly dive in. They're a very Mancunian band. Like, they're very Northern. I think they have, like, their distinctive place in that, like, pantheon now. Um, they've their past glories. Um, obviously, big fan base. And you know Doves when you hear them. But you also kind of know the reference points for sure, right? So, like, you, I hear a lot of kind of John Squire guitars erupting here and there. There's, like, plenty of, like, Bo Diddley semi-acoustic kind of guitar strumming as like the backbone of a lot of the songs, which is basically just Johnny Marr doing his kind of Elvis band rip-off stuff. The most prominent bass lines have very like hooky hooks. Um, and then, you know, they have kind of splashes of polite like psychedelia really, which is maybe Verve at their best territory. And I think they were, they were Wigan, which is like Greater Manchester, but it is it is that kind of Northern soul thing. And they do, as you say, Orthodox rock really, really well. Um, I think on a lot of these songs, they've kind of big choruses, they're really well structured. They could, it depends on how you kind of view them, right? They could veer into territory where they're a bit meat and potatoes if you weren't being too charitable or they could be songs that you'd imagine lesser bands writing for sure so you know you you mentioned an elbow there for you just wouldn't quite stack up um there's plenty of not quite cortina's level of manchester bands but that kind of thing of just like straight ahead you know uh, great bunch of lads great songs kind of thing but i think what differentiates doves is they clearly have great taste in music like when i listen to this i'm like oh yeah i bet you they have a really good like record collection they're kind of inventive enough when they need to be they're you know they have a lot of different kind of creative thoughts there's kind of nice gentle touches just that push the songs away from the meat and potato stuff and just introduce like just some kind of nice indian sitar vibes at times uh i think when they push the boat out slightly and you get some kind of slight you know splashes of color and psychedelia it really really works and I kind of at times wish there was more of this. Like the centerpiece for me would be a song like Cathedrals of the Mind. I just love that kind of like late night arcade vibe they go for. And it's got this neo-psychedelic otherness to it. Um, but I'm just as happy with the kind of the radio playlisted songs. I think there's probably not songs on here that stack up with their very, very best, most transcendent moments. Like a There Goes the Fear of Pounding. But on songs like Prisoners, they get very close. Um did you and think that uh, Prisoners yeah. was... I, I got a mad Last Shadow Puppets vibe off that one. Yeah, yeah, I can pick up on that for sure. It is... It's all coming from very old-fashioned, like, rock and roll roots, isn't it? So you have to kind of be in the mood for this kind of thing. Like, they're not reinventing British, the wheel. specifically. If it it yes. feels kind of very, like... But not in that horrible Brexit way, but more of a, <laughs> you know, yeah. a standard bearing, I guess. I mean, like, I, I know what you're saying, and I don't think you're wrong... I do think Carousels is up there with Pending and There Goes the Fear for Me. I think that's a song that is appreciated quite beautifully in value over the summer months. And 
I love his vocals. I love the chorus delivery that you heard there when we intro the album. Because I love that, like, I'm going to take you down initially sounds like really aggressive or something or sounds like, you know, like I'm, I'm going to fucking kill someone. <laughs> um, but, you know, back to the old fairgrounds. And it's actually like this kind of like, oh, no, no. It's like there's something really sweet about this. There's something about like a shared experience um, that life under the collar thing that I always talk about. I think you can't write certain songs unless you've been through certain things, of course. And it's like it's it's interesting because like this is in some ways this is a safe record because it's like it's doves they're back they're older so are the fans we've all been through it right but there's also something quite beautiful about sharing that level of kind of intimacy with your fans and just being honest about it man and i I, honestly i think carousels is probably one of my favorite songs of the year nice um good shout on his voice i've always loved it he's got really big pipes just that kind of it's, it's that huge sound he always feels to me like he's singing slightly over your shoulder like it's made for live gigs like do you know what I mean for all its power and maybe this comes back to how I never had that personal connection with them where it's sometimes that widescreen dove thing it feels like it's music like that doesn't really want to make eye contact with you or do you, do you know what I mean there's like a slight his voice isn't built for real kind of confessional intimacy it's all about like conjuring up this like when I imagine their music it's like kind of it comes from like this elevated place where it's you know aerial shots or like drone cams like over Manchester and black and white towns and that kind of stuff um so that works really well and I'm sure when finally we can get back to live gigs I would like to hear a huge share of this album alongside the kind of old classics. But yeah, I don't know if they've got that kind of, that really intriguing character for me where I'm like invested in the lyrics. Like a lot of the lyrics here as well are, they're nice, but they kind of lean on old cliches at times. And it is very kind of rock and roll 101. But when they kind of gel really well with his vocals, yeah, you're just, you're off to the races. Give me a number. Uh, I'm going to give this uh, 7.5, I think. Um, For fans, it's an 8, it's a 9, but it's just a really strong, sturdy collection of songs. How about you? 7.5 for me as well, yeah. I really like it. I think I'll be spending more time with it. And I think it is one of those situations where it is genuinely great to have them back. And it's a shame that gigs aren't happening because, as you say, I think that there is something very communal. I think that, like, when you get to a Doves gig, you know, like, it will be a big moment. So hopefully... Hopefully in the near future, you know, it can be a proper fucking experience for people, but we'll see. Um, We'll also see what else we've been listening to. We're going to move up the other listening corner from the end of the show to the end of the album review because there's a lot happening and sometimes I feel like we just kind of rush through it. Uh, This week I have been listening to, for those I love yet again, um, we've had confirmation now that the album from last year is coming. Um, All I know is that like... Yeah, I got the press release. So it's on September recordings, I believe, in the UK. And it's like, uh, so it's a nine track record. So I have to assume based on that and based on the video that came out today for I Have a Love and the song sounding pretty much the same as it did last year that like, I think it's going to mostly be the same thing. I don't know. I don't have official confirmation of that, but I figure it's going to be a straight up re-release. I kind of hope that that's the case because I mean, I don't think you need to do too much more to it. But uh, it's getting a big push and it'll be interesting to see what kind of reaction happens out of this. I've seen even like, like even like the fucking UK PR who sent it to me today, even his words about it. And I wrote back and I was like, oh, I'm actually very familiar. And you're right. It is. This is an important, this is a guy with an important future. And he was like, I'm really fucking taken by it. Like, I think it's, it, it's, it's something special. As we know from hearing it last year, it is something special. So I know people have been waiting. I've had people who listen to the show DM me and ask me like, you know, when the fuck is that ever coming back? It's finally coming back. It's imminent. That's great. Um, Josh McClory of The Stripes. Now, let's talk about Josh McClory of The Stripes, my new best mate. Uh, You may recall 
I wrote a fairly disparaging article about the stripes and the broke up a couple of years ago for Joe.ie. And you may recall over the summer, upon finding myself gainfully unemployed, Josh McClory came along and got his revenge quite brilliantly in a Twitter exchange that led to us Burying the hatchet, maybe? I don't know. I mean, that, that kind of remains to be seen. Why am I talking about Josh McClory? It's because he's got a debut single out. Uh, as of this podcast dropping, I believe, it's called Everything Was Easy. And I did say a couple of years ago, I put a lot of pressure on the kid's shoulders. And I said, I hope the guy makes real music. This is a two and a half minute song that sounds heavily indebted to Frank Ocean. So I'm glad to see that he took my advice, Craig. Good for him. Go check out his song. I actually really like it. It's Fair all play. down to Dave. <laughs> Come on the show. already going that way. The potential Come was on there. The show, no, <laughs> we no, don't no, see no, it. I, I just feel like inspiration comes from different places, you know. Uh, Weaker Corners, Friends of the Show, also back. Muscle Memory EP that's out now. Uh, and as of this podcast dropping, the latest album from Marilyn Manson. It's called We Are Chaos. I arrived in my inbox at the start of the week, so I've had some chances to hear it here and there. Uh, Ten tracks. I'm a big fan of Marilyn Manson, as you know. I think the first half of the album is particularly strong, sounding very big, very alive. Not quite as alt-country as I thought it was going to, because he kind of hooked up with Shooter Jennings on this one, but it's it's kind of interesting. You can kind of apply the same kind of Doves barometer to it. It's more of the same in the sense that you know what you're getting 11 albums in from an artist, um, I really like it. I haven't had a chance to spend as much time with it as I might like because, unfortunately, I don't know about yourself, Craig, the online player that I had to use just is a broken mess. They are <laughs> never smooth sailing. It's just... Oh, God, yeah. But from what I heard, grammar. I really liked it. Um, but I'm also an easy sell when it comes to Manson, so I guess we'll see. Sorry, I cut you off. You want to say something about Josh McCory, The Stripes? Because I know that you and him are, have no I, I was all, just, so. I was just going to undercut all that by saying I'm enjoying this kind of almost flirty energy between the two of you and I, I want to hear that played out on this podcast. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that story develops. In terms of my other listening, um, yeah, I just picked a few tunes that have been doing it for me this week. A few tunes! Um, Phoebe Green uh, <laughs> really struck me, really caught my ear this week. Uh, Reinvent. Uh, something of a revelation. She's kind of class. Unflinching, funny lyricist. Um, songs about like the different ways we behave around others. Uh, there's some really, really nice lines in there. And it's got this like motoric, lush synth thing going on. The music was done by Julia Jackson of The Big Moon. Um, I've had a kind of on repeat. I, I need to check out more of her stuff. But yeah, reinvent. Check out that tune. It's very good. Uh, the new one from Pan Amsterdam is great. Cara Cake, which is a collaboration with Guts, French producer. Uh, Pan Amsterdam Amsterdam is a self-described jaded trumpeter turned rapper. So I was all in straight away. Um, he's kind of got this like MF Doom persona. The track's great. Very jazzy, uh, very hip hop. There's a reference to Chanel by Frank Ocean. Um, see on both sides like Chappelle is the line. Um, and the new Arab strap one is actually quite intriguing. Um, the turning of our bones. Uh, there's a great line about the heart began to putrefy, then the body bloated. And it's all about voodoo spells and raising the dead. And it's got a kind of carnal grimness that they're quite good at. I was never a huge fan, but that track works for me. So, yeah, I'm probably the second best band ever named after a, a sex device, would you reckon, Dave? And the first one being? Steely Dan. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Why do they ask? <laughs> Every fucking week. Should also note, by the way, I've been listening to, because I've been playing uh, the remastered Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2. The music in the game, amazing. The old soundtrack is all there and a new one on top of it. Fucking unreal. And it's just a total nostalgia rush that I absolutely, absolutely love. Nice. Anyway, 
that was your listening corner. There's lots out there to listen to. Patreon.com slash noencore if you want to get your hands on a couple of playlists that we've made in recent weeks, and there's more to come on that score as well. But it's time for everyone's favourite section, I think. The top five comebacks, best and worst. So when we decided this one, we decided best and worst. I automatically was like, I'm obviously doing the worst. I mean, I found it tough. I actually, surprisingly, I mean, like, it's not that there's not a, a litany of them, but like, yeah, I mean, like, it wasn't quite as... I, I thought I thought I'd have it done in five minutes and it wasn't the case. Yeah, what's the problem that often the comebacks are not good, but they're more just drab and they kind of go with a whimper and there's not much to talk about. I'd say that's the problem, right? You're, what you're looking for Pretty is spectacular much, disasters. Yeah. <laughs> they're a bit of fun. Where possible, yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, like you want it to be kind of headline worthy. I've 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 got them. I, I, I'm very happy with my top five. But uh, nice. in the spirit of light and dark, I guess we should start with you. Yeah, um, I had the opposite problem um, for the opposite list where it was like really tough to get it down to a five and there was some kind of obvious ones I had to leave off. Um, I was very nearly going to put on (laughs) everyone's favourite or everyone's least favourite Red Hot Chili Peppers because I felt like they might deserve it. And then I was like, I'll just have John for Shantae because, I mean, talk about an actual comeback, music aside, but like that man was on the way out. We've, you know, if you haven't seen the videos of him when he was, you know, at his lowest ebb, they're very disconcerting. I've listened to some of his almost like outsider art music he recorded around the time and uh, it kind of oozes talent, but even when he's like oozing like less great stuff. um, But to come back from the brink and he's clearly the one with the most talent in that band and just deliver such commercial stuff. He maybe deserved a slot. Instead, for number five, uh, I went with uh, the guitarist who initially replaced him and his old band, uh, kind of just to kind of give us an energy boost at this stage in the show and remind people this belter exists. Jane's Addiction with Tesman Trees just because from the album Strays and yeah Dave Navarro on guitar um, the ridiculously named Perry Farrell peripheral on vocals and what a like stadium sized we're back uh, rush of a song yeah was Perry is Perry Farrell's name is that has that, gone o- <laughs> has, that go- has that gone over my head for this entire time is that not his real name is that, is that like is this like a thing Oh yeah, it's like it's like the kind of Irish DJ thing of like Dusty Roads or Rick O'Shea. It's Rick Perry O'Shea, for yeah. peripheral. It's so oh, bad. For isn't fuck's it? sake! It's so bad that no you idea. wouldn't make that connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it doesn't quite scan. Like it's Perry Farrell. It's it's still way. But also, off. that's really annoying because, like I've said before, if several times, I think Jane's Addiction is one of the great band names. So it is. It's class. Yeah, and you know, Lollapalooza is pretty good for an alternative festival in the nineties, right? So he's good at naming some things. Um, and good at songs. This was a great comeback. I loved them first time out. Of course, I had to like rediscover them when I was in my teens many years on. But like nothing shocking. Uh, the debut from the eighties was just it's right up there with some of my favorite rock ba- rocks albums. Um, and follow up ritual the habitual. Um, maybe more famous great songs on this. This comeback, yeah. I mean, just because it's like the kind of the sprightliness and the fun of a being cost stealing with the really heavy sounds of a nothing shocking and just. Yeah, the guitars are so good. It's all, it's like the edge meets like glam rock. Um, and 
totally works for me. The album's very good as well. They didn't last that long. They seem to have fallings out whenever they got back together. They've tried many times in the years since. Um, they were without bassist Eric Avery, who was co-writer for a lot of their best songs. And it's weird. If you actually go back and listen to Nothing Shocking, it's it's a lot of those songs are very rooted in the bass lines. They work because of them. So that they pulled off Strays with such a plum without him was a massive success in itself. But yeah, this was just like constant rotation on MTV2 at the time when they were a fair bit older than a lot of the bands around them. Dave Navarro still somehow looking like topless, shredded, yeah. not getting any older. <laughs> I cast. fucking love this song and I haven't heard it in a while, so I'm delighted that you chose it. It's Good, in, I'm, um, I'm sure it was in lots of things around the time, but I remember it being in a, a crap training montage in... A really good bad hangover film, which is SWAT, starring Colin Farrell, Samuel <laughs> Jackson, Jeremy Renner, like a rubbish, like uh, just action cop movie from 2003. Michelle Rodriguez as a tough Latino woman. Shocking, I know. Um, Olivia Martinez is in that movie. And it's just, yeah, it's it's, it's bad, but Thank it's, it's fun bad. Uh, LL Cool J is in it, of course. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a mess, and this song is just yeah, it's just fun. The guitar is fucking outrageous. It's great. However, I mean, the Jane's Addiction comeback did lead us to the horrendous theme tune for the horrific Entourage. So that's oh, a bit of a yeah, yeah, a couple of points it. against them. I'm afraid that's a fair shout. So, okay, talking about rubbish, give us something rubbish, Dave. I'm, I'm I thought you'd never ask. Let's kick it <laughs> off. The dulcet tones of COVID-19 sceptic Ian Brown oh. fronting the Stone Roses and their 2016 reunion. The song is called All For One. Uh, it would lead to another song that was released shortly afterwards and no related album. But uh, just for a bit of trivia, Craig, can you name the other song they released that year? I, I will say it was definitely better than this, but I can't for life me remember anything about it, except that I had lots of John Squire solos, of course. What was it called? It was called Beautiful Thing. Uh, all for one. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you heard the first 30 seconds there, you heard the song. Uh, dreadful. But like, boy, did this send a bit of a frenzy in bucket hat wearers the world over who were like, it's great. They're back. I love it. Nah, folks, this is what we call a cash grab, which is what it was without question. Uh, back for another handful of reunion dates, including one in Ireland. And yeah, that was kind of it for them. I mean, I don't know, man. Are the Stone Roses good? Were they ever really that good? defend this they're one of those bands where um they influenced so much rubbish that came afterwards and they became such a parody of themselves so quickly particularly with the comeback that you kind of it makes you go were they good to begin with i still think the debut album is really really good at the time it was quite unusual there's great songwriting on it um good musicians like john square is a good guitarist um rennie's a great great drummer they had a kind of groove to them but yeah they that you could argue they caused more harm than good. So I don't know if it was worth it for a lot of people. 
Yeah, I just never quite got it. I mean, like, they got, like, I Want to Be Adored is great fun. Made a stone, a bit of a belter. But I just, I, I, again, there are some bands I don't quite get the religious aspect of it for, for other people that may, they might have. Um, so I think it was on the, in 2017, they played at Hampden Park in Glasgow. And during the performance, Ian Brown addressed the crowd saying, don't be sad that it's over. Be happy that it happened. Uh, leading people to speculate that the performance would be, in fact, their last one. Uh, and then in 2019, John Squire confirmed in an interview with The Guardian that the band had, in fact, yes, dissolved. Um, they didn't get on very well with the media, Craig. They, they they tended to avoid interviews, be generally kind of leery of press conferences, and just yeah, they're not really like very inviting, are they? I was gonna say they they clearly went to the school of like Sex Pistols and John Lydon, like this is what a, a punk rock star should be, and just be a bit leery. And the press conference where they announced the reunion was maybe the best quality thing that they did because like they were so full of it, and it was just like we're gonna move mountains, and this is the greatest band in the world getting back together. And um, of course they're 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 supposedly very hit and miss live. I've never seen them live, but yeah, with that voice from Ian Brown, um, they could only be one thing. Um, but it's it seemed to turn out that they went into the studio quickly realized they had like no inspiration or no songs to write, and they eked out a couple of dodgy numbers, and they're like, oh, "Let's get out of this, lads." Cash grab is right, yeah, for sure. Back across to Craig once again for an example of a good comeback. Yeah, I'm sure Ian Brown would appreciate this. Um, it's not as problematic as some of his other views, but he's a big um, kind of alternative hip hop fan. So I say he would have loved this. Um, so that was a tribe called Quest. We the people, 2016's effortless. Uh, we got it from here. Thank you for your service. Um, just it was an absolute lifetime in hip hop that they were away, and just that they came back and delivered one last album that was so ridiculously good. Like they hadn't missed a beat or a bar. Uh, I was never the biggest tribe head. Um, they were huge, kind of in the nineties, and very influential just in terms of backpack rap. Uh, led by Q-Tip, rapper Fife Dog, who's sadly no longer with us, passed during the making of this, but got his stuff down in time and they just really did him justice. But yeah, it was it was incredible to hear them so on point and so relevant. And they'd kind of reunited on, I think, Jimmy Kimmel or something like that. It was the night of the like Paris attacks and they just felt this energy and they're like, okay, we have to do something. We've still got a lot to say. And it felt like they got back together for all the right reasons. There was no cash grab. I was just reading today about like a lot of the recording of it and Fife Dog was, um, he was on dialysis treatment like three times a week for diabetes and he'd just kind of go to Q-Tip's home and they'd work together and um, like his manager was saying that like every evening they go down to the house, he and Tip would spend hours there just vibing, coming up with lines, seeing them together in the studio, joking, coming up with ideas, disagreeing, trading vocals it was incredible. It was like watching a unicorn and Q-Tip said it was like they were kids again and you could tell Totally hear this on the album. Uh, they've a lot of their old friends. Buster Rhymes is on a consequence. Andre 3000. Kanye pops up. Just all the kind of disciples of Tribe. It's It shouldn't be this good. It was like one of the best hip-hop albums of that year from a group that had been out of it since the late 90s. And Q-Tip on production, he's just, he's still so immaculate, still so current and envelope pushing. It's great. Yeah, I mean, listen, there's something to be said for 
I, I, managing to conclude, like managing to kind of, I guess, not just bolster, but like cement and really kind of throw up your legacy in, in a great, great way at like at the very, very end of a career. I mean, like it, it's fairly rare. It doesn't happen too often. And that probably oh. helps the album overall, I'd imagine. Um, I think, you know, in terms of, you know, chasing that wonderful epitaph, though, some acts just don't know when to stop. At number four for me. It's Billy Corgan and the Smashing Pumpkins. Of course, did you really think I wouldn't invite them to this party? How often am I on the show talking about that disastrous gig I was at in February 2008? RDS Indoor Arena, where Pumpkins, you know, put a fucking asterisk next to that name, uh, played for like two and a half hours, and it was just the most self-indulgent wank I've ever experienced. But here's the thing, as I always say as well, I temper... I temper my anger with my wisdom, and I suggest that Billy Corgan is, in fact, one of the great songwriters, and thus he gets away with it. My my argument here, Craig, is simple. I just don't know if it's fair to call Smashing Pumpkins, Smashing Pumpkins, after a certain point. So some background here. This song that you heard there is called Tarantula. It's from the album in 2007 called Zeitgeist, which marked the official <laughs> return of the band. But it was Billy Corgan, drummer Jimmy Chamberlain, and a few other heads. Like, it wasn't Pumpkins Prime. It wasn't fucking... The full show. Now, you might argue that Billy and Jimmy are the perfect two for some reason, and I'm not necessarily against you. Jimmy Chamberlain, I think, is one of the great drummers. Incidentally, by the way, do you know how many times he's been in and out of this band? Like, how many times he's, like, officially listed as being in the Smashing Pumpkins? Seven. Four, which isn't quite as much as seven, but it is quite excessive. Probably some Um, unofficial ones. Almost definitely, yeah. So I think what happened was, back in 2005, right, um, Corgan put out a record of his own called The Future Embrace, and then he took out a full-page ad in the Chicago Tribune and the Chicago Sun-Times and announced that he wanted to get the band back together. So he said, for a year now, I've walked around with a secret, a secret I chose to keep, but now I want you to be among the first to know. I've made plans to renew and revive the Smashing Pumpkins. I want my band back and my songs (laughs) and my dreams. Um, Yeah, sounds, (laughs) sounds good, but like, smash cut to fucking a couple of years later and it still hasn't fully coalesced uh james eha and melissa f tamar melissa f tamar of course who would replace darcy retsky said that we're not involved uh darcy retsky said she didn't want to be a part of it and so you might argue that like corgan's hands were tied but it's been a really you know red tapey kind of nightmare uh zeitgeist came out got mixed reviews wasn't great i mean like tarantula is fine the opening track on the record doomsday clock is a bit of crack you know good drums to kick it off but it's just all a bit generic um with regards to what they wanted from it um Jimmy Chamberlain said that the mindset of Zeitgeist was to put our best foot forward, not get too artsy. We wanted to try and create a body of work that was concentrated enough to bring back a fan base and invigorate a new fan base. Some advertising stuff there for you, Craig, to to really hone in on. Mm. Uh, He said, we kept it pretty close to the chest, didn't branch out too deep into the art zone while we were writing the record. 
Corgan, meanwhile, said that the album's goals were threefold, to make an accessible mainstream rock record, to comment on the, quote, emerging fascist political climate of the United States, luckily that went away, uh, and to explore the nature of his band and his friendship with Jimmy Chamberlain. Uh, like I say, reviews were mixed, fan reaction was mixed, it did okay in terms of commercials, and, you know, I saw them on that fucking tour. Um, later on, Corgan would say, I know a lot of our fans are puzzled by Zeitgeist, I think they wanted this massive, grandiose work, but you don't just roll out of bed after seven years without a functioning band and go back to doing that where do you stand on pumpkins 2.0 or however you choose to label it well i will say deep in the art zone is a 200 quid cd box set of uh, billy corgan's solo outtakes that you should really there's some great stuff on that just check it out i was on board from that single because i was like it hits all the the beats you wanted to hit right it's like a, a smashing pumpkins greatest hits in one song which means it's kind of a mess and not really up to par with do you know what i mean it doesn't work as a song but it works as like signifiers of what made them great and then yeah the album was a massive disappointment calling it zeitgeist to begin with because he wasn't doing irony he seldom does irony <laughs> didn't work for me i i think smashing pumpkins as a band they always felt for me like it was the Billy Corgan show and Jimmy obviously on drums. So I wasn't too upset about him like leaving aside some of the other guys who felt like half the time he was writing and recording their parts anyway in the glory days. But when he says something like, I, I want my band back, all he means is I want my brand name back and I oh, want yeah. people to come to my shows and I want to make more money. And that's fair enough because he put in the shift and like they are great songs at back catalogue. Um, but yeah, quite cynical my mind well you know james e has back in there these days so you know fair he enough is, i will yeah. say that like another way you summed it up very well but another way of summing it up i think just as just as well as you did is there's a there was a project album uh called tear garden sorry tear garden by kaleidoscope which was started <laughs> in late 2009 after jimmy chamberlain left the band the project initially was conceived as a 44 song concept album loosely inspired by the tarot with each song being released individually as a free download and I love this update here, Craig. By August 2018, after 34 tracks had been released, Corgan announced via Instagram that the project had been abandoned. <laughs> Which is... <laughs> of course. Just tend to go, mate. Oh. Just go. <laughs> like, finish it. I, I, do lo- I do love him, though. I'm glad he's around. Like, <laughs> Oh, me too. I, I, as I'll always say, world is a better place without, with, with Billy Corgan in it, for sure. Yeah, totally. Okay, for my next pick, uh, I'm going to illustrate this one by means of a live performance here, just because I think a large part of the success of this comeback for me was a, a typically awkward but like chipper Jules Holland having to deal with this onslaught. Portishead's return uh, with lead single, Machine Gun, um, from third, their third LP. Um, It was their first in 11 years, I believe. And clearly things weren't all old spy soundtracks and like sophisticated dinner party music like the likes of Dummy. They'd already moved on from that with like the self-titled album. But the sonic reinvention here, whilst also saying like distinctly Portishead is pretty great you know, Beth Gibbons' voice, so distinctive, so them. You can kind of do anything. And what they did was go more minimalistic, 
sort of refinement, I guess, rather than trying to recapture all glories. And uh, yeah, Jeff Barrow knew what he was about. It could have been like when you look at something like MVV coming back, um, where old songs are like fussed over for too long and time kind of overtakes them. And while it's still decent quality, it's not worth the wait. I think with third, they felt vibrant. Um, Jeff said he realised when he was recording with the Coral that like they were kind of recording so quickly and they were younger musicians that weren't afraid of like what they'd done in the past. And he was saying, here was me and Adrian, uh, the guitarist and keyboardist with the band, just kind of scared that we were going to make a sound and not like it and, you know, basically second guessing ourselves. So we thought, fuck it, we'll just get experimental, do whatever we want. And boy, did they. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think you could almost make the argument that Portishead, if anything, are an underrated band. They're so singular, uh, wonderful at what they do. Like, Jeff Barrow is a fucking old man, shouts a cloud nightmare on Twitter, but Jesus Christ, does he know what he's doing when he's in this mode. Uh, I saw them live, I think, with you, probably, at Electric Picnic, whatever year they played. Yeah, do you remember this moment? (laughs) I remember this moment because we were standing in the middle of the main stage, the field of the main stage, and, like, near, I guess, like, there was, like, this kind of, like, track beneath our feet, some, I assume, some electricity some kind of current was going through there and it was like they're playing machine gun and first of all the the, the way the backdrop was there was this like massively orange thing with like black silhouettes of who was on stage and it was this weird fucking dystopian version of get lucky by daft punk and the noise i mean they they challenged my buddy valentine mogwai for yeah. just sheer cacophony i think they brought out young fathers at one stage who weren't even playing at the festival that weekend um it was magical absolutely magical this album is fucking brilliant holds up incredibly well today and i also what i would suggest for anybody just in case anyone missed this because it wasn't very well publicized they did an amazing cover of abba's sos for the film high rise a few years ago yes and it took a while for that to actually emerge as in standalone audio I think they only released it after the horrible murder of Joe Cox in the UK. And I think it's only on YouTube. So if you've never heard it, and if the prospect of Portishead covering an ABBA classic is something that intrigues you, I promise you the end result is absolutely brilliant. And yeah, fantastic shout, Craig. Thank you very much. And do you know what the weird thing about this is, right? I I actually think it might be their masterpiece and obviously critically a huge success. It did really well commercially. Like it went in at like number two in the UK and it hit seven in the US, which is like, it was their highest US chart debut. Sold a decent amount of copies. And it's just like, you can imagine some people like checking this out and kind of remembering Glory Box from the 90s and being met with that. But yeah, tremendous. Uh, what, what, What do you got, Dave? Yeah, on the other end of the scale, Craig, in the worst comeback zone at number three. Uh, look, we've all made mistakes in the love game. Hopefully not to this level. All I want to do is keep it light, keep it light. All I want to do is make it right, make it right. All I want to do is give you that thing, play you that song you and your girlfriend sing. Let's get you back tonight. I gotta get a go, get a go, get a go, get a bag. I gotta get a go, get a go, get a go, get a bag. I gotta treat her right, whoa. I gotta cherish her for life. Do you know who that is? No. No, I'm racking my brains. It's it's terrible. 
Who is well, it? Craig, just one year after his edgy success, it's Robin Thicke with Get Her Back off Paula, the album Paula. he wrote to try and get his estranged <laughs> wife, the actress Paula Patton, back. Like I say, this album came out in 2014. The divorce was finalised on the 20th of March, 2015. Uh, it's quite amazing what a fall from, uh, I guess, disgrace that Robin Thicke had. And this is a guy who was around for a while. Blurred Lines came along and just basically like rocketed him to the moon and then caused all manner of controversy. Take your pick. Why? You know, fucking very questionable lyrics, uh, lawsuits about plagiarism, and generally being thrown under the bus by your collaborators on the song, and then entering a drink and drug uh, fueled binge. Just going to tell you off the rails. Um, and then, yeah, uh, like, what do you do in the middle of that? You go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get my wife back. I'm going to write this horrendous album about how much I love her and all this kind of stuff. And it's mostly just pathetic. This is his seventh studio album that came out in 2014. He has not released an album since. Um, oh. Yeah, it received mixed reviews from the critics, though, so it didn't get a complete kicking. Um, did okay in the US, you know, debuted at number nine on the Billboard 200 charts. Didn't do so well in the UK, selling only 530 copies, uh, 550 copies in Canada, though, and 158 in Australia in its debut week. Um, not a great one. And I mean, like, you can you can kind of, like, laugh at it in a way because he says stuff like, I came right off a tour and had all these songs and all these ideas and feelings in my heart. I went right into the studio, I wrote all the songs in three weeks, recorded the album in a month. Obviously, all the songs are about her or about how I feel about her. A lot of songwriters have done this kind of thing before. They won't tell you in the title or they'll be suggestive. I was like, there's no reason to hide who this is about. It's all about her. So you can be like, yeah, cool. I mean, this is ridiculous. You've lost it, mate. But then, you know, you read some more about the relationship and Paula Patton accuses them of like some really horrific domestic violence and that kind of stuff. And it becomes a little bit more oh, wow. actually quite sketchy and just not good. From a critical point of view, the LA Times said the record is a failure, a virtual whatnot not-to-do guide for both songwriters and spurned lovers. In an age when appearance rules, there is something kind of fascinating about Thick's willingness to look this bad. Um, an absolute career killer. Game over. Yeah. I was going to ask, I mean, you had a lot of stats there and like the most important metric would have been how did it go down with his estranged wife? Uh, but like the background of what was going on with their relationship, I guess we don't know, but it yeah, it takes on a way darker complexion. And from her point of view, if you're in a bad kind of relationship situation and then this comes out bearing your name that you want nothing to do with, it must be very odd waking up to like those messages being like, oh yeah, there's a new album out and it's all about you from this guy you don't want to hear from. Very strange. Very, very strange. By the sounds of those sales, though, probably didn't get that many text messages. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, Portishead was harrowing in a really artistic great way. That was harrowing in a totally different way. I'm going to bring some pure joy to the lists now with my number two. Walking on imported air. Ooh, it makes you want to die. Instant pick me up, right? It was oh, 1999. Amazing. 
It was, as I've said before in the show, summertime possibly for humanity. And these old punks were on the comeback trail. Um, Blondie, Maria, taken from the album No Exit, which I don't know if I've heard the whole way through. It doesn't really matter. Uh, we're now into territory where it's just big pop tunes that are like, you know, pure, we're back territory rather than maybe instant classic albums. Um, D'Angelo did not make the cut for me. Sorry, D'Angelo. But yeah, just, just such a big gap. I think it was a 17-year absence from the charts for Blondie. Um, it was their first single since, yeah, 1982. Hit number one in the UK. Uh, it was big in the US as well. It was written by Jimmy Desri, who was their keyboardist, actually. Um, he wrote a number of kind of big hits. wasn't a main songwriter. I think he did Atomic. Um, and he had this in the bag, which is just like that rare thing of like a genuine pop gem that like they could have released at any point in their career and it'd be one of their best songs. And here they were kind of probably called past it by a lot of people, but no, this was just so good. It was probably my first familiarity with Blondie as well. Um, probably heard this before Heart of Glass and I loved it as a kid. I think everyone loved it. It's so feel good. It's great. It's an absolute triumph. And yeah, I had the same experience. I mean, like, I didn't get to talk to my parents too much about music growing up because it just wasn't that kind of a gaffe, I suppose. And mm. I got to quiz them about Blondie. I had no idea who the fuck Blondie were. And like, it was just this great unifying track. It was fantastic. That led me back to the, their music. And I was like, well, this band are amazing. I've since seen Blondie live a couple of times. Uh, they're a phenomenal band. Um, goes without saying, almost. Maria fucking rules. Uh, I even, I even, <laughs> it was even played at like, I think the first ever school disco i went to uh which is oh, one, no of the, way. one of the better memories yeah seeing a bunch of fucking brill cream lads prodigy stepping their way around to this one um it's funny because like <laughs> with this list you know when, when we when, when it was suggested that we do it i kind of immediately was like i don't know if we should because like we're gonna cross over like the, I think one of the reasons why we split this up best and worst is because i would have picked this I know you're fucking number one. Like, like it's like, it's, do you know, I, but do it, you? Well, it has to be. But the point is like, I was like, ah, like, I mean, like, but you can't do a list like this. Like, I, I think this is undisputed. Like, like, and I have put this one up against what I think your number one's going to be. I think it's that good. I guess the best thing I can say about doing this top five is I just want to go and like, turn off the mic and listen to Maria. And I want to go back and listen to Portishead and uh, James Addiction. Yeah, yeah. Are you kidding me? This is, you're not going to have a fucking park this week, mate. Do you know what? I, I picked that one precisely because I was like, in terms of clips, I had like D'Angelo stuff and yeah, you know, back with a classic with Black Messiah. But will it be as enjoyable as 30 seconds of just because roaring out of the traps? I was like, no, I have to put it in. And yeah, same with this, pure bottle joy. And I like the story behind it as well, because, you know, Debbie Harry got her kind of start as a big star a bit later than usual in the 70s. And then the reason they were away for so long was because um, she's married to Chris Steinband, or at least they're, they're par partners together. He was diagnosed with like this rare kind of like autoimmune disease, and she was kind of caring for him for a long time. They were just living their lives and trying to get through it. And this comeback really went well for them. It was a great success. And they've since been releasing stuff, not as successful, but yeah, long may they continue. Absolutely. And yeah, listen, you know, you can't have good without bad. And so my silver medal this week...
absolute audacity of Block Party. <laughs> song. <What happened? laughs> song is called The Love Within. Um, yeah, Block Party, once the fucking enemy poster boy saviors of British rock music, British indie music, whatever. Um, what happened is a great question. So, yeah, the resulting album was called Hymns. It came out at the start of 2016. During the summer tour of 2013, drummer Matt Tong, great drummer, by the way, left the band. And kind of paved the way then for bassist Gordon Mokes, who left about a year and a half later or so. So half the band are gone at this stage, you know, and arguably, you know, maybe the more interesting half, I don't know. Um, Leaving behind Kelly Okarecki and Russell Lissak. So they were just going to keep it going, supposedly. Um, Smash cut to the summer of 2015 and two intimate shows in which Block Party unveiled their brand new lineup. Justin Harris um, of Menomina joined them on bass and they had a new drummer, um, Louise Bartle, who they found on YouTube and it was like, okay. And then there was like this amazing photograph that went out and like, God bless him. Justin Harris looks like Jesus Christ in this photo. Uh, Kelly's like all of a sudden, like he's ripped, like again, fair play. Yeah. Uh, Louise Bartle kind of looks like a fan. Like it was just this weird. And then also like they've got this pastel pink background, like they're in LA. And you're like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is not this is not the band that we grew up with a bit of angst towards. And I, I think Block Party are one of those acts where they didn't quite live up to the potential, but they're still, sure. you know, worthy of you know being in the canon. Perhaps you know they weren't. Were they on that landfill in indie list? I don't think they were. Um, no, they probably weren't quite. They weren't really landfill. I guess like Silence Alarm was such a great debut, and they were smarter and kind of catchier than a lot of our contemporaries for sure. Yeah. So I mean, like. It, do you, like, like you may have been wondering as well on that clip, is something going on with my audio? No, that's how it sends. Um, that was the lead single off Hymns, a dreadful album. Kelly at this stage was way into Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it just felt like it was very much a case of, what are you doing? Uh, this doesn't feel like a project anymore. It just feels a bit all over the gaff. And the album itself was quite boring. Drowning Sound gave it a negative review. They said, Block Party's fifth album isn't beyond salvation. It's merely crushingly beige, devoid of a crucial spark that might suggest they aren't a spent force. Um, yeah, Drowning Sound said that. I said that, because that's my review. I wrote it back in the day. Uh, but here's the thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> what a reveal. I love it. <laughs> Strana Esteem. I think I'm just still baffled by this record. Um, yeah. Because also, I, I don't know how often we, we mention it on this show, but like, and this came from you. This was a this was a Craig hand-me-down for sure. Their best song isn't on fucking Spotify, which I find very annoying. Their best song, of course, Craig, is called? Little Sparks. No, that's Delorento's third album. Oh, sorry, Little Thoughts. <laughs> little Thoughts, yes. <laughs> Look at that as I'm well. I'm discombobulated by this drop. <laughs> <laughs> little Thoughts by Block Party. Yeah. <laughs> um, Such as a for, good song. As for current Block Party, at the start of this year, Okareki announced on his personal social media accounts that Block Party had begun writing a new album. I saw them, was it last year? They did that Silent Alarm 20th anniversary thing in the three arena, yeah. which was way too ambitious because they did not come close to selling it out. But like, it was a bit of fun. I just don't know what happened. This is like... Oh, also, yeah, sorry. You mentioned Jules. You know, fucking Mr. Boogie Woogie Man himself earlier on. Look up the performance of this song, The Love Within on Jules. Jesus Christ. Craig's cat has once again gate-crashed the <laughs> recording. has entered the building and he is gone. He's so, he's so needy. I love this. Maybe he's a huge block party fan and just had to derail the segment. <laughs> Defending the boy. Amazing. Cat is out of the room. Incredible. Yeah, I I feel like the guys leaving the band had a lot to do with this, right? Because even if you're not the most outspoken or prominent member, 
feels a lot with band chemistry. It's sometimes the guys that don't say a lot, but they will veto fruity, dodgy ideas. And every Block Party kind of release in recent years has felt like Kelly's had two options and he's always picked the worst one. So, yeah. I guess after I that, know. Craig, you might say my heart is numb, has no feeling. What's your number one? How dare you? Because we'll like <laughs> We've had harrowing existential masterpieces, legendary hip-hop acts. It all pales in comparison to when the boy Barlow has a comeback story to tell and a song in his heart. Have a little of this. Patience. Have a little patience. Whoa. I mean, what can you say? Dave, you called it, of course. You <sighs> called it top two. It had to be. Get not be anything else. Patience, take that. 2006, back from the dead, back for good uh, in reduced numbers seemingly every year, but still doing it. And yeah, like a, a band first time around that did nothing for me whatsoever. I do love back for good. But um, yeah, I think the road to this reunion came from, was it like an ITV or Channel 4 documentary about like, where's everyone now in the group? And it was a massive success and there was an outpouring of like older, you know, now older fans that were distraught when they split up going, you know, still showing great love for them. And they went, okay, there's an audience still there. Let's make it happen. And when this came out, uh, let's go back to the winter of 2006. And this was me working over Christmas in the central sorting office, the post office, overnights. This was constantly played like on whatever radio station was tuned in through the night. This and I believe Irreplaceable by Beyonce. And as someone who was not a Take That fan, I was lapping this up. It made it bearable. It's great. And <laughs> the album was great. Beautiful World's really good. Uh, the live show was very good. Um, they eventually got Robbie back in the band. It just, it was like a fairy tale story. I was really happy actually for Gary Barlow because he was a bit of a laughing stock for a number of years. His solo career didn't do much. Uh, I remember being very kind of mean comments about him. Like it's just his kind of like weight gain and just horrible stuff. And, you know, when people in general were more horrible in the press and just that he knocked it out of the park when he came back, um, kind of gazumped Robbie Williams, I think. Take That became the thing. I didn't even particularly want Robbie to to rejoin, but resounding success. So who would have thought a boy band could get back together and do it better the second time around, right? It's a great story. And yeah, no, it's Robbie Williams came back on um, Progress. and Progress, yeah. It was very clear, and that's a good album too, and it was very clear that like they were doing him a favor. Like it was kind of like, we don't need to get him back in, but it worked and it worked yeah. for the tour. I saw them live on that tour, the progress tour, and it was fucking awesome. It was in Croke Park. And I've said before, I could have done without the 30 minute Robbie Williams solo mini concert in the middle of it, but that's all part of the whole thing, I guess. And yeah, I mean like this song is amazing. I fucking adore it. I put rule the world and the flood very close to it though, but patience is the one for sure. It's, it's absolutely Patient, brilliant. Yeah. Um, I just saw on, um, 
Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, you mentioned going back to um, that kind of time. And I remember a couple of things, a couple of Q magazine related things. I remember there was an interview with the with the band and the, the journalist was clearly trying to like, you know, stir some shit. And they were saying to Howard or Jason, one of them anyway. And they were like, Gary Barlow wrote in his uh, autobiography, you know, at the height of Take That's Fame, I was making 20 million like, like pounds and the lads were making whatever. How do you feel about that now? And Howard or Jason was like, I have no problem with that whatsoever. Because he completely <laughs> understands where his bread is buttered. And then, of course, there was also that infamous Q Awards where I believe um, yes. Arctic Monkeys, a very young, drunk Arctic Monkeys, were very rude about Take That in their acceptance speech or something. And which led Nikki Wire to like confront them in the bathroom, yeah. which is hilarious. Yeah. Great this shit just, I was gonna, this shit just doesn't happen was, anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Q had a lot to answer for. I was reading about this today and I was like laughing out loud. Uh, what led me to it was on the Wikipedia page for patients. There's a section called Reception and Legacy, right? <laughs> And the first, the opening lines of this section are, in 2009, Nicky Wire of the Manic Street Preachers hailed Patience as the greatest comeback single in history. If Neil Young had written it, people would be calling it a masterpiece. And I was like, oh yeah, wasn't he the guy that was defending Take That at the Q Awards? He's a huge and he Take was. That yeah, guy, he, yeah. I think he collared Alex Turner in the bathrooms he after like, he'd been mouthing off. And he basically <laughs> was like, that was so disrespectful. Who the fuck do you think you are? Those yeah. guys are legends. <laughs> like, Just, yeah, to bring it, like, to close the loop um alex turner then a number of years later apologized publicly to take that scary barlow uh he had called the band a load of old bollocks in 2006 um he apologized and said we love gary barlow i think i really offended him a few years ago though which i'm sorry about i didn't understand it then don't know what was going on trying to ruffle some feathers but i love it he's just like i didn't understand it then the magic <laughs> but yeah it all worked out he also said, though, in another interview, I think he said, like, they were like, yeah, look, listen, we were dickheads. And then they went off and they wrote Shine, which was the best fuck you ever. So fair play to them. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, listen, I mean, it's terroring. I fucking love it. One of your best top fives, Greg. Bravo. And now, as for me, to round this off, any guesses for my shout for worst comeback? I'll give you a clue. It's recent enough. Last couple of years. Oh, I really don't have a clue. This has been constant Marvel Switcher selection. I'm just I'm bracing myself. All right, hit that music, Adam. Why, who is that man of the woods? It's Justin Timberlake. Yeah, remember this? Filthy. Remember this nightmare? He had I, one good comeback when he brought Sexy back and then it all went wrong. Tell us about it, Dave. I think um, I think it's fair that this is our number one because anyone who's listened yeah. to the show, any OG No Encore fans out there might remember an episode in which myself, yourself and Colin were doing Songs of the Week and I think it was... What's the song he did for like the Trolls film? It was like some big summer thing and it was just very like generic, but it was huge. What the fuck is it called? Adam Adam is waving his hand frankly in the feeling, background here. Something feeling, frankly, wasn't it? Frantically, I should say. Can't stop the feeling. Thank you, Can't Sonic Architect. Adam, I appreciate that. But you remember like Cullum 
in introing it was like that's just intimidating there uh, something of a long awaited comeback yeah. and Craig do you remember just fucking losing it like you had like a psychotic I, break I startled Gom his his face was just like what has happened what have I it, said it was unbelievable <laughs> it was the most visceral reaction I think I've ever had to anything ever um, because no one had been waiting for that particular song. Yeah, of course, he was, he, you know, Cullen was totally right. That huge artist, we all wanted to hear from him. But after a clip of that, I was just like, Jesus. I think I need to dig out that audio. Uh, if, if I successfully dig out the audio, here's what that sounded like. Although, frankly, when we look at some of the music that's come out in the past week, that can be said about more people, including this guy. I got this feeling inside my bones. It goes electric, wavy when I turn it on. All through my city, all through my home. We're flying up, no ceiling when we in our zone. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. Ooh, I can't take my eyes off it. Moving so phenomenally. Come on, like the way we rock it. So don't stop. That was Justin Timberlake and Can't Stop the Feeling. It was something of a long-awaited release from Justin Timberlake. <laughs> <laughs> and... Oh, Craig just exploded there. Was okay, it long-awaited? go again, what? Was it long-awaited? No, no, we're, we're, we're fine. <laughs> like, I think Craig just like, had, a, had a laugh. We're, it's all was good. It? Was it long-awaited? Yeah. No, I wasn't, wasn't waiting for it. No, not at all. Anyway, yeah. listen, these things happen. It's fine. We're all friends. It's all good. But Justin Timberlake, what happened, mate? I mean, this was like, uh, just like fucking flannel. There's, there's a song on here called Flannel. Like, you know, it's not just even the imagery. And it's just a mess. It's your pop bloated mess. It doesn't work. Um, according to like the kind of the cliff notes here, the genre of the album incorporates traditional R&B as well as influences from country and funk described as Americana with 808s. Uh, Timberlake oh. said the album has a number of influences. It's meant to be heard outside even more than inside, he says. You talk about those southern guitars and the sound that feels like heritage. That's me exercising my love for where I came from. It's just a mess, though. It doesn't quite have any of those roots. It's just like, well, here's a robotic pop song that I guess was a bit of fun for five minutes, but like, I had to remind myself that this existed. You know, I was like, what the fuck? You know, um, filthy? Like, really? Like, we, 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 we still listen to this? And, you know, I want to see a YouTube comment that says, who still listens to this banger in 2020? Uh, yeah, the fallout wasn't just, you know, the musical, the the response to the musical failings of the Enterprise, I guess. It was, there was a huge backlash against Justin. Do you remember this? Because, of course, post like NSYNC, he was like warmly embraced by uh black community in the US. And like when he got on board with Timbaland and that was a big audience for him. And at the time this came out, there was a lot of talk of like, you know, it was a tumultuous time for race relations and he was suddenly doing this very white vanilla, like weird signifier stuff and just dropping the whole hip hop thing. And he's been trying to kind of catch up with that audience ever since. Like his last few releases, he'll he'll have a lot of features with rap artists and he seems to be like trying to make amends. So yeah, a trail of destruction caused by this release. Great choice. Pitchfork, in their 3.8 out of 10 review, closed off by noting that Timberlake was due to perform at his second Super Bowl halftime show as a solo artist the weekend that it came out. They said he's returning to the stage as an old family friend, one unblemished by the wardrobe malfunction that kneecapped Janet Jackson 14 years ago. The incident Mm. is a microcosm of Timberlake's career. At no point has his ascendance been interrupted by anything like negative consequences. He played a pivotal role in one of this century's defining TV controversies and was happily involved 
invited back to the scene of the crime little more than a decade later. He rushed recorded and released a massive two-part album to fulfill contractual obligations and was welcomed back into the music industry with arms wide open. He wore a full denim suit and cowboy hat on the red carpet. He played a crucial role in The Love Guru. None of it mattered. When you skate through your life unscathed, you accumulate hubris, and it takes a lot of hubris to make an album like Man of the Woods. Now, that is scathing and probably fair, but I'll say this, much like Billy Corgan, there's some great stuff in that locker. The guy wrote My Love, or at least performed it, and that's enough for me. Yeah, he'll come back from the comeback, I'm, I'm certain of it. Yeah, and Mirrors is a bit of a belter too. Fair play to him. All right, that was the top five this week. It's been a hell of an episode. We've already done a little listening. It was in the middle of the show after the album review. If you skipped to this one, go back and check the whole thing out. Check us out on patreon.com slash noencore. Support your local podcasters. Thank you so much to Sonic Architect Adam Shanahan, who has always has been our guiding light in a year that has been a bit reckless and crazy. Craig, do we know what we're doing next week on the show, top five-wise? Have we decided or have um, we not? There's a few up in the air. I kind of like the idea of we'll be dropping just before um, September 21st. Um, so it could be something themed around calendar dates and titles. And it might be the right time for that. That could be a fun one. Um, could go disco. Adam's saying disco. We've, we'll see. We'll We've lots of options. We've lots of options. His yeah. name is Craig Fitzpatrick. My name is Dave Hanratty. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. Back very soon. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Celebrate this July 4th with a special presentation of A Capital Fourth. Join your host, Vanessa Williams, with performances from Sea to Shining Sea, starring Jimmy Buffett, Gladys Knight, Alan Jackson, Cynthia Erivo, Pentatonix, Renee Fleming, Train, Jennifer Nettles, Mickey Guyton, Jimmy Allen, Ali'i Cravalho, Laura Osnes, Ali Stroker, and the greatest live fireworks display in the USA. It's A Capital Fourth, sponsored by the Boeing Company and American Airlines, Sunday, July 4th, 8, 7 Central, only on PBS. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.